0: Opening our Bibles to Exodus 1, that's found on page 88 in your Pew Bibles. Exodus 1, starting at verse 22. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people Every boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. The birth of Moses. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to go and get it. She opened it and she saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. And she named him Moses, saying, "I drew him out of the water." The very words of God.
1: Thank you, Sherry. Our text is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. where it's speaking about writing. And uh, it says in 2 Corinthians 3, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. And then it says, our, our text, verse 3, you show that you are a letter from Christ. The result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. I have here a piece of papyrus. This is a piece of papyrus that was made in Egypt. When we visited there a year ago, uh, we were able to to see. And here is an actual piece of papyrus mentioned in uh, Exodus 2, verse 3. Mm -hmm. And so you you can take it, take a look at it. It, You can see the the overlaying of the the fibers in, in two different ways. And just note how flexible it is and how people would write and draw on it. Pass that around as we reflect on God's word together. Congregation of Jesus Christ, God's word speaks to us this morning in relation to the installation of the office bearers that we witnessed. And it is God's will in Jesus by the Spirit to write on their hearts, to write on all of our hearts, to guide us in faith so that we will love and serve the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our strength. And that sense of writing is in relation to the the call on our lives and also the actuality of of our lives need to be written on and our hearts need to be written on and so our hearts need to be like that papyrus which was the writing material of the day and so that's what we're looking at this morning to live our lives under the lordship of christ and to let the lord jesus write on us like a living letter of faith and obedience in the church and in the world to his glory. So that's what we're looking at this morning. We begin with the reading from Exodus. And it's always good as you read the Bible to reflect on what it's saying whenever I read too. No matter what I read, it it always speaks in in different ways and and generally uh, through questions. And so as we look at this passage from Exodus 2, one of the first things, one of the key things, it mentions papyrus. And, and for us on the one hand reading through that Exodus 2 verse 3 that Moses' mother went and got a basket made of papyrus papyrus only mentioned five times in the Bible and, and the, the sense of it here it, it would be highlighted and underlined really there is something going on here recognizing What God is doing is the point of of the papyrus being mentioned. Realize, first of all, that this is a difficult time for the Hebrews in Egypt. As we read, starting already in chapter 1, verse 22, Pharaoh has made this declaration. All the Hebrew boys have to be thrown into the Nile. They all are going to be killed. When he made that declaration, he wrote it down. He wrote it down on papyrus. Exactly what you're holding. He had his scribes and people write it, copy it out, and send it throughout the whole kingdom. All the Hebrew boys need to be killed. And that word written, sent, would be authoritative. It would be like the word of God. For Pharaoh was a god in the eyes of the people. And so he wrote his word, his will, and that was done. So that's, that's the very sad, hopeless, difficult context. In contrast, chapter 2 begins. Now there was a man, don't know anything about him, of the family of Levi and his wife too, of the family of Levi. Later on we learned their names. But the, the picture of people serving the Lord, and especially from the line of Levi, one of the sons of Jacob, who later became the Levites, were those who more specifically, most specifically acted on their faith by serving God in the temple, in the tabernacle, so these were Levites. These were focused people, generally the Hebrew people focused on God, but the Levites especially, how can I serve, where can I serve, what do I need to do? And so these were Levites, descendants of Levi, and their thought, their focus is on the word, the will of God. And so they reject the word of Pharaoh. The, the word has come down. Even all the boys must die. No. And she goes out. And she finds a, a basket made of papyrus. Why papyrus? You might think papyrus is more waterproof, but it's not. Papyrus is, is like any grass too. Very, very fragile. And with the tar and pitch that it says she put on the basket, any basket made of any material would have been waterproof. So why does she pick a papyrus basket? Why is she looking for a papyrus basket? Baskets in ancient Egypt were mainly made from palm leaves, the leaves of palm branches. Very common, very abundant. They were dried and crushed and wound in the cords and made in the baskets. And the baskets were used to carry sand and rock and clay. They were strong. They could be big. They were, that was what people used to make a basket out of palm leaf. If, if you wanted to find something else, you would make a basket out of halfa grass. Very common, quite strong. You could dry it, wind it, make a nice basket. The vast majority of baskets in Egypt were made of palm leaves or halfa grass. Very few were made of papyrus, and that's for two reasons. First of all, the papyrus plant was considered holy. The papyrus plant is quite particular. If you see the plant, it has a long stem, this tassel on top. It's kind of like a bulrush It is very distinctly three-sided. The actual stem is not round. It is a a distinct triangle. And the Egyptians felt the triangle was like a pyramid. And so their whole reverence of pyramids and the gods was then taken into actually the papyrus, which was then, then somehow tied to the gods as well. And so it was, it was a, a holy, go- godly aura around that plant. So you wouldn't just use it for anything. And then the second thing was you could make paper out of it. You couldn't make paper out of palm leaves. You couldn't make it out of the grass. But out of the papyrus, you could make Paper, strong, flexible, durable paper. It would last for hundreds of years. And so it would almost be an offense to make a basket out of papyrus. Many other sources for baskets, but only one source for paper. And so so they would take this papyrus and and they would use it. And what they would do, they would cut it and, and slice it very thinly. and And they would... They would roll it, try to flatten it out, the initial process, and then they would put it for six days in water because papyrus like sugar cane. It's very sweet, and they needed to get the sugar out, but then they they left it for six days, and then the remainder of the sugar was the glue that held it together. And then they would take it, and they would they would lay it in that cross pattern, and then they would put it between animal skins and put rocks on it, And they would lay it for another six days till it dried and and came together. And then they would take it out and lay it out under the sun for a day. And then it would just become, yeah, nice, dry, good for writing, drawing. So it was quite a process. And they would do that carefully. And they would make paper. And that paper was power and importance. That paper was Pharaoh's orders to kill the Hebrew baby boys. The paper was the record of the history of what Pharaoh had done, his victories and all these things. The paper was the account of the Egyptian gods and their actions and their demands. Paper had that presence and power of the written word to pass on truth to give instruction, to preserve history and faith. Moses' mother takes a papyrus basket and in defiance to the word of Pharaoh, that false god, in obedience to the word of God, God who had said to the Hebrew people, I will increase you greatly, Be fruitful and multiply. And in Exodus 1, that's exactly what's going on. It says in Exodus 1, the Egyptians are fearful of the uh, Hebrews because they multiply and spread, verse 12, and, and God is blessing them, and this is God's word and God's will. And so Moses' mother acts on the word of God. She acts on it as it's written in her heart. It's written right on her heart. She will not give up this child. And so, very literally, I'd like you to imagine, too, just what what is she doing? She is placing her child in the Word of God, in a papyrus basket, where God's Word will surround and protect and be the true center of that child she places her trust in the word of god and places her child not in any basket in a papyrus basket as a statement of faith written as it were right there on the papyrus her hope is in the will and word of god his word spoken that the hebrews were his special people from abraham isaac and jacob that though they were in slavery in Egypt now, that he was watching over them and would deliver them and they are looking for a word of deliverance and that's exactly what Moses becomes, isn't it? Moses becomes the deliverer. So, so in the papyrus basket, there's a word that's going to be spoken. The true word of God. And so God's word is declared, in contrast to Pharaoh's word of death, God's word of life and deliverance. And you see in the story how powerful God's word is, how amazingly effective and active it is, because as the story unfolds, the the little baby is not just saved by anybody, but he is saved by Pharaoh's daughter. Now, of all the people in all of Egypt, who would come across a Hebrew baby, and she says in verse 6, it's a Hebrew baby. She knows. And she knows her father, who's the Pharaoh, who's the king, who's God even to her, has said this baby needs to die, and she just needs to flip that thing over, and the baby's gone. The word of God, the power of God, is at work. And God has ordained this baby to be the savior of his people and she doesn't kill that baby in fact she takes that baby and the power of god is evident in in that god is at work so that that Miriam comes forward and offers a, a Hebrew mother to nurse the baby. And so Moses is back with his own mother. It, it's uh, ironic. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's the power of God at work in contrast to the, the power of anything that stands against him. And so in the end... Pharaoh raised, or Moses is raised by his mother, and he is his mother's even paid by Pharaoh's daughter. And so Pharaoh himself, who gave the order to kill all the babies, is paying for this baby to be cared for. And all through the whole story, the word of God, the power of God, the faithfulness of God is declared. God is working out his plan, his promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. I promise to be your God. I promise to make you a great nation, God says. I promise to give you a land and you will be a witness to my presence and power and saving plan in a fallen world. We see hope, confidence placed in the word of God. That's what we see in this passage. And... That word, written on the hearts of every Hebrew, lived out and blessed. Now, Papyrus has that holy aura of God's word declared. And, and Moses is protected by God, that word. And God continues to fulfill his redeeming purposes through Moses, through the ten plagues, through the deliverance of his people. And as he does that, we see already a foreshadowing of what he continues to do in another child in the New Testament. When King Herod says all the babies in Bethlehem need to be killed, God says, no, this is my child. I am doing a redeeming work through him. A complete redeeming work. That's already in view here. And that Jesus is the word of God to us. He is, he is the word that needs to be written on us, on our hearts. We, as those who enter into the story of salvation, the saving power of God through Jesus, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection from the dead, that becomes our story, our center, our hope. And so we continue to go forward in that great truth, even as the office bearers were asked this morning to respond to the question, do you believe the Old and New Testament are the word of God, the infallible rule of faith and life, that word written down, that word that continues to be the center of our faith that we have received from God. That that center lived and acted out in faith is what we are called to, to make that word of God ever more central. And that brings us to 2 Corinthians 3, where Paul is speaking to the church, and he is speaking to those who have been called as followers of Jesus Christ to see that child who grew and became the Savior, that he is our only hope, and that his word is truth in this world, and that trusting in him is confidence and power and peace. And it says we need to show, to Corinthians 3.3, 3, that we are a letter from Christ written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone or papyrus, but on tablets of human hearts. The point is, God continues to want to write his will on our lives, and that we would respond in trust and obedience to him. Like Moses' mother, taking that papyrus basket, that, that we have that Reassurance that that center of of we need to be firmly focused on what God has done in Jesus Christ. Our hearts tuned to the Word and will of Jesus by the Spirit, and that continues to be the work of the Spirit poured out at Pentecost. That we live for our Lord. That the Spirit works in us, that so we can be a faithful witness. To him that we in difficult circumstances can say we trust in God and what a witness that is in a godless world so that that call again to live into God's will to trust in his purposes to be humble servants like Christ himself that challenges us all again today and Jesus continues to want to write his will on our lives. So the question is, uh, what is Jesus writing on your heart? What is he calling you specifically to do in terms of of your circumstances and where you need to trust in him? Uh, A couple things, just generally, that Jesus is writing on our hearts. First of all, he wants us to know his word. I mean, that that flows out of this whole sense of papyrus and the written word, that, that we take that word, that we keep that word, that we, in our personal devotions, in our times of worship, in our Bible studies, that we let that word speak to us. That, first of all. So reflect, first of all, how are you letting the word speak to you? That's the first challenge. And even as the new office bearers were were in the charge too that they let the word speak to them first as they go forward I think the second thing out of, out of 2 Corinthians 3 and out of the installation this morning is that there Jesus Jesus is writing on our hearts he's writing love my church love my church it's not my church not your church it's his church and is it perfect? no Now, there are all kinds of things going on, and you say, well, I don't know. Jesus continues to write on our hearts, love my church, it's my church, I'm working through it, and I can share with you many examples of how that's going on, sometimes we lose sight of that, we think, oh, what's up with that, and we're not willing to be part of it, and, and always critical of it, and. Jesus wants to write on our hearts so you can see, love my church. Continue to see me at work. And so, how do we show love for the church? And it's not necessarily as an office bearer, it can be. We did see it here this morning as office bearers, people stepping forward, called to serve and to love this church. That could be in other ways that we're involved using our gifts. Reflect again yourself. What is Jesus writing on your heart about how you love his church? And then out of 2 Corinthians 3, there is always the call to, to love our neighbor. How can we be a witness? And as we, as we center on God's word, as we seek to be a church that loves and serves the Lord, then indeed, we can love our neighbor. Show the love of Christ to those around us. Seek to be that presence and power of God. Giving them hope in difficult situations. Helping in hurting situations. Continuing to be the love of Christ in a broken world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again this morning for your word.